I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a Friday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot and Ashley Bastock. And we are at the Browns facility. We are in person here doing this podcast, which is rare. Andrew Barry held his pre-draft uh, press conference today. Mary Kay, let's start here. This was Andrew's first opportunity to address the Perrion Winfrey situation. Of course, he was arrested last week in Texas, in Harris County, uh, for, uh, you know, charged with assault, uh, misdemeanor assault. Still really no word on what the Browns want to do in this situation. Kevin Stefanski was asked about it earlier this week, kind of didn't give us much. Andrew didn't give us much either, but what, what did you take away from his answer? Well, given the opportunity to stand by Perion and say unequivocally we are sticking with him, he did not do that. So that's what kind of stood out to me is that he didn't completely rule out parting ways with Perry on Winfrey. Now, I know that they that will not come by easily, that decision at all. Uh, he's their fourth-round pick from last year. They don't like to give up on draft picks. But in doing their own internal investigation, if they discover uh, that Perry on Winfrey, and if, if he is found guilty in the, in the court of law, um, then, you know, I really think that they will think long and hard about parting ways with him uh, because, you know, this is an egregious thing if he is found guilty of it. This was a, supposedly an assault on a woman that he had been dating, and she told authorities, and we have no idea if this is true at this point, but she told authorities that it wasn't the first time he assaulted her. So the Browns will not take any of this lightly whatsoever. We know that they are already uh, still very much dealing with everything that happened with Deshaun Watson. Uh, They know the eyes of the NFL are on them. They know the eyes of fans are on them in situations like this, and they have to be very judicious in how they handle it. Yeah, Ashley, this is a a tricky situation for this team with with one of their draft picks. Like Mary Kay mentioned, they don't like to cut these guys up. They like to draft and develop, which is something that came up today. But of course, when a legal situation happens, it kind of changes the math. And especially with a guy who had not been in this kind of trouble before, in legal trouble before, but had had some maturity questions surrounding him. Like we know he had to miss that Jets game in week two last year for a disciplinary reason. And then, of course, there was the whole story of where he he was injured and he told Mary Kay it was because he got into a scooter accident. But then Mary Kay had other people tell her that it was really he had, you know, gotten into a slight car accident because he didn't know how to drive in the snow, was trying to avoid some embarrassment. So I do think there were some questions about that. But 
I think maybe there was optimism towards the end of the season when it seemed like things had settled down. He was maybe producing a little bit more, and then you have Jim Schwartz coming into the building. Um, But yeah, this is just kind of, I think, another notch in, hey, this guy might have some serious maturity questions that, yes, you were able to get him in the fourth round, but is he going to be able to kind of mature and learn what it takes to be a pro and and stay out of trouble now? And on the field, Mary Kay, this... Like, it's go time for this team. We've talked about it over and over again. They just can't have things like this distracting them. And, you know, not to minimize it, but there is an on-field element to it. They can't have distractions like this when they're trying to go out and win a Super Bowl. That's right. And they had a number of them last year. And a lot of them came on the defensive side of the ball. Perion was certainly one of those because he did have those maturity issues. There were at least two games in which he was benched uh, because of disciplinary reasons, and including that Jets game in week two. So, I mean, it, it was happening from the jump. Uh, and then there were the issues with Jadavian Clowney and, you know, him not wanting to uh, get switched onto the a tougher assignment on the opponent's offensive line. That created some problems. He took himself out of a football game, except for on third down. Unacceptable behavior. So they're going to have a low level of tolerance for this kind of behavior this year. Uh, Again, as you mentioned, the train is moving fast. They have big goals and dreams for this year, and they're not going to spend a bunch of time on guys that are not ready to be pros. Okay, let's get to the rest of the press conference. and let, Let's get to some of our takeaways from that press conference today in Berea from Andrew Barry. Mary Kay, what was, what was one of the takeaways for you? Well, one of them was the fact that Andrew acknowledged that he will be trying to add to the defensive end pile. I think that's important. I think they really need to have, uh, like they had it a couple years ago, where they had Miles getting all of his sacks, but then you had Jadavian Clowney almost in double digits, and then you have another third edge rusher getting five or six sacks. I think they need to be there again. I think you need three, four guys contributing at least half a dozen and maybe two in those double digits. Uh, So they're going to add to the pile. And, you know, is Alex Wright going to be able to be that third edge step up? Of course, he was last year's third round pick. Is he going to be able to step up and be that guy that can be the number three edge and give you those half a dozen sacks? Yeah, Ashley, it almost feels like, Andrew, that was like the one thing he admitted today is like, yeah, we're going to add to those defensive ends. And he didn't rule out doing it, uh, you know, adding a veteran defensive end or something like that. But it, it's, you know, if you just kind of read between the lines, it certainly sounded like at some point in this draft, there's going to be an edge rusher taken. Yeah. And I do think like given how little Andrew normally says in his press conference, when he pointedly like doesn't rule something out, I do think that is telling us something. Of course, Andrew even joked today about not saying much in these press conferences. But I mean, I think it's just common sense. You know, like he said, This roster, you know, with the increased practice squad numbers and obviously the numbers they can have before roster cutdowns begin, like this is going to get to 90 guys eventually. And Andrew said, you know, it might not happen next week. It might not happen in May, but it's going to get there eventually. So I think it's just a matter of time until they add to that room and get some more depth there. So, Mary Kay, how much do you think they're willing to bank on a guy like Alex Wright and, you know, Isaiah Thomas? How much do you think they're willing to bank on those guys making a jump just the year one to year two leap, but also making a jump uh, now that the, now that Jim Schwartz is their defensive coordinator? Well, Jim Schwartz has a knack with his defensive linemen. He has a knack with those rushers uh, to, you know, isolate them, to get them in favorable matchups, to get them going forward. And he lets those dogs eat. And he's really, really good at that. 
So I would say that there is a really good chance that Alex Wright and uh, Isaiah Thomas have an opportunity to, uh, you know, kind of jump off the page this year and and add some of those much needed sacks and pressures. And, and you know, if you're not getting home and getting that sack, at least if you can disrupt the quarterback with a pressure, that's vitally important too. Um, but those guys and Oga, Obo, Ogaronquo, um, you know, he finished very strong last year and. You know, it's incumbent upon him this year to really step up and be that other double-digit sack guy if he can be. That's what's supposed to happen. So I think in in Jim Schwartz's scheme, they should be able to get the most out of those guys. Yeah, you know, Ashley, with Alex Wright, I think he was a guy that, you know, a lot of us liked, you know, coming out. But he's such a raw prospect. Like, it was always, I mean, you've said it before, it was always going to take a little bit of time with Alex Wright to get going. But the physical tools are there. We've all seen him. He's got the long arms. He was batting down passes, which is something he didn't do in college very much. So I, I still think there's probably something there with Alex, right? But it's just now there's a little more pressure because, again, it, it's go time for this team. Yeah, and think back to last year. You know, they draft Alex, right? And he's big. He's long. Of course, like we saw last year, the one thing he was really good at was batting passes and being disruptive at the line, you know, not in terms of getting to the quarterback, but just batting down balls because he is so tall. And I think that was a skill he didn't get to utilize in college. But also when they were building that team last year, it's like before they drafted Alex, they brought in Chase Winovich in that Mac Wilson trade. And I think, you know, looking back at that, that, you know, roster construction, it's like, okay, we have miles and we assume Jadavian, we brought him back. So he's going to give us a similar output. And then, you know, we have Chase and we're going to try to see if a change of scenery is going to help him. And, you know, he never really ended up being able to get healthy. So I think, it just wasn't that kind of Tack McKinley production. And as soon as Alex Wright got in the building, it just seemed like everyone was raving about him. Even like when I was doing that big story on Chase and talking to people about Chase, everyone was always brought up like, well, well, Alex is here too now. You know, it was kind of interesting that they were almost hedging any statement they made about Chase Winovich with Alex Wright is here now. So I do think, you know, Alex even admitted it was like night and day going from UAB to rushing quarterbacks in the NFL. So I'm curious to see what he looks like, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard to say, oh, we can solely rely on this guy when he didn't have any sacks last year. I think on PFF, he only had like 12 quarterback pressures like total for the season. Um, So that is interesting, but it's part of his game that he needs to continue to develop. But again, when he came here, they were expecting that development needing to happen. Okay, Ashley, what was your takeaway from what Andrew had to say today? Yeah, I mean, my takeaway overall just has to do with the linebackers and what that room is going to look like because we know last year it was so injury-prone. Five guys suffered season-ending injuries. You know, I think Andrew talked a little bit about why he was happy they were able to bring back a guy like Anthony Walker Jr., especially given his communication ability, um, and why a guy like Sione Takitaki, who got to play a larger number of snaps last year and really excelled, why that's big, but... I still am really like curious because, again, this is like a question he didn't answer directly or say, no, we're not interested in bringing in more linebackers. He just kind of talked about, well, these guys have all been rehabbing. But I do think, like Mary Kay said this before, like given the nature of these season-ending injuries, like you're kind of gambling a little bit if you just keep the status quo in that room. And to me, it's like, again, if the roster has to get to 90 eventually, I would expect at some point that some depth is going to come to that room with only, you know, the handful of guys they have right now. And and I'm curious too, Mary Kay, I mean, 
if you're going to draft some guys for Bubba Ventrone, let's say, I mean, that could be a linebacker, right? Some of those guys in, in the fourth round, fifth round, sixth round, you might find some special teams contributors. And those guys, a lot of times, are secondary players or linebackers. So I think there's room to add more linebackers to this roster. Yeah, I think they will. And I think, um, I do think it's important because the thing about these injuries that you're talking about, you really don't have any idea how these guys are going to perform when they get out there. They're optimistic that they're going to be durable and available and all of those kinds of things. But you don't really know until they get out there. And a lot of times when you have these surgeries and these injuries, you will have a residual injury because you are favoring that body part. And I think that's another important thing. If you're out there and you are coming off of an ACL, sometimes you end up with a pulled hamstring or or something. Uh, so a lot of times, you know, there are these other injuries as you're trying to come back from uh, the thing that you had operated on. And a guy like Jacob Phillips, he hasn't been able to stay healthy yet. So, you know, you have to wonder if, you know, if he's going to be able to, after coming off of two pretty serious injuries back to back, a biceps and a pec, you know, can can you reasonably say, yes, we can count on him for the whole season? JOK, I mean, he's coming off of a midfoot sprain, uh, you know, and by all accounts, he's ramping up and he's going to be fine. But uh, you never know. Is he going to have the same speed that he had? Or is he going to have to wait till midseason to be the player they thought he was going to be? So I think you have to have some insurance policies there. Okay. I'm going to take a minute here. I want to defend the goose. All right. Because <laughs> Andrew Barry talked to geese and horses today. And this is going to be a big, a big thing for horses, right? This is going to make horses sound great. But I want to defend the goose real quick. Because Andrew said a goose can fly. A goose can walk. A goose can swim. That sounds like a pretty versatile uh, bird, fowl, whatever you want to call it, to me. So... You know, I'm going to defend geese. And geese are mean, by the way. I've been hissed at. I was just going to say that. Geese are mean. Geese may have that dog in him, in them that this locker room needs. Maybe sometimes you need a goose that's a little angry and undersized. I, I just want to say, and if you're out there wondering, like, what are they talking about? We'll get there. I was running once. There was a goose on a sidewalk. It did not move. And as I ran by, it hissed at me. <laughs> so I, I don't want to mess with geese. But anyway, Mary Kay. Andrew today was giving an example of how he views the the late rounds of the draft, and uh, you know you don't usually get a lot of starters out of that part out of that part of the draft. You're going to try and roll the dice and get one if you can. But the way he looks at it is, you know, a goose can do all these things, but maybe doesn't do them well. A horse can't swim, although I don't know, maybe some horse can swim. I don't know. A horse can't swim. A horse can't fly, but a horse can run. And when a horse runs, it runs really well. So. He's looking for guys with that one outstanding trait as opposed to guys who can do like four or five things, but maybe not do them at that elite level. That's kind of the point he was making about horses and geese. Well, I think the philosophy has served them well. I think they have done a really nice job of finding some late round gems. Look at Isaiah Thomas from last year, right? I mean, he came in here and he did a really nice job as a rookie. In fact, he exceeded, I think, uh, in some ways, the expectations of even Alex Wright. Um, I think that he exceeded certainly the expectations of his Oklahoma teammate, Perrion Winfrey. 
and he was drafted in the seventh round. Look at um, Michael Woods, the wide receiver that they got in the sixth round. If he hadn't ruptured his Achilles, I think he was coming in this season again to prove to them that he could be their next Donovan Peoples-Jones. And speaking of Donovan Peoples-Jones, a sixth-round wide receiver. Uh, let's see what they can do with Jerome Ford this year, a fifth-round running back. And then, uh, you know, once again, you've got a Demetric Felton. He still has to go out there and prove uh, that he can get some things done. But they, um, you know, they have some guys that they have found in those later rounds. I would argue maybe they're almost a little better in those later rounds than, say, perhaps maybe like the third round where, uh, you know, I kind of look back at the first three years of third round picks, and so far they only have one bona fide starter out of out of that round, and that's a round where you want to try to find starters, if you can. That's the goal. Um, but yes, certainly their uh, their horse trait philosophy is serving them well. Ashley, you mentioned a name when we did our our stand up earlier, and it, it's somebody that didn't work out, but I do think it's an example of what they're looking for, and and that was Richard LeCount. Yeah, former five star product who maybe didn't have that superstar level of production in college. You went to an SEC school, right? Like they seem drawn to to that kind of mold of guys, maybe an SEC guy who didn't necessarily pan out exactly how people thought he would coming out of high school. And to some extent, DPJ is that too, right? He was like the top rated wide receiver in the country in his high school class, went to a Big Ten school in Michigan. But similar thing, the production just wasn't there. And I think when you get later into the drafts, like this is what Andrew is getting at today. And I think it's something we've known about this regime for a while going back to that 2020 draft is like, at that point, you really are just like gambling on traits and seeing if you can develop a guy to actually be a player who can produce at the NFL level. And I think that's all you really can do, right? Like you want the guy who has the traits that's going to fill a hole on your team that isn't there currently, that's going to add something a little bit different. You hope for the best. And if it doesn't work out a few years down the line, then you can kind of, well, they haven't really cut bait with a ton of their draft picks. Richard is the only one still, I believe, um, but, but you have that option eventually, and you don't lose much. It's a low-risk, high-reward kind of situation, and given how this regime works, it's unsurprising they think that way. Okay, there we go. Takeaways from Andrew Berry's press conference. Now, it is Friday, so that means, of course, we are going to talk some succession. So that's coming up. We're going to take a break here, and when we come back, Ashley's got a question for us about succession. We're not going to go an hour on succession this time, <laughs> uh, I promise, but we are going to talk a little succession on the other side here. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. And welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast here on a Friday. It is succession time. This is your weekly reminder that we are going to have spoilers galore here from episode four. And who knows from what else happened before episode four. 
Uh, so, Ashley, you have the floor. What is your succession question for us? Okay, so mine goes back to last week, episode four, which we have now all seen. And again, spoilers. If you do not want spoilers, this is your second warning to stop listening. But... After Logan's death in episode three, Frank, who we found out is the executor of his estates rather than just an attorney or a family member, finds a piece of paper in a safe. And the big discussion of episode three is Kendall's name is on this piece of paper that had some, you know, kind of random. It was a a takeaways, if you will, a takeaways of Logan's wishes for um, should he die. And at first in typed, typed in the document was that he wanted Kendall to be his successor. And the big question of the episode is there is a line. Now, what do you think of that line? Is it an underline or is it a strike through is kind of what these characters are debating. There's no date on the document, so they don't know when this happened, only a rough idea of when this might have happened. So my biggest question is, do we think that Kendall's name was underlined on this document or do we think it was crossed out and do we think it matters either way? I'll answer the second part first. I think ultimately it doesn't matter uh, because look, they were joking about like losing it, flushing it down the toilet, like just dropping it in the toilet. So I think they're going to find a way around that. Mary Kay, I think it is an underline because to me, if I'm going to cross something out on a document like that, I'm going to town. I'm going to just completely like, it's not going to be one quick line. It's going to be, I'm going to like color it in. So I think, I think it's an underline gone bad. I actually think it's a cross out. I think it's a cross out because I don't know why you would underline it. I, you know what I mean? Like, why would you go back and underline it? It's in the document. Everybody can see that it's in the document. But, you know, if you in this moment don't have an opportunity to change the document in terms of going in and and striking something out, what do you do? You can take a, a pen and you can cross something out. And when people find the document, they will see that you have changed your mind. So I think it was a strikeout. And even when you look at it closely, um, you know, it starts out kind of underneath <laughs> it and then it creeps up into the name. Like he was trying to cross it out and kind of missed it first and then and then nailed it. What do you think, Ashley? Answer your own question. You know, I, at first I had Mary Kay's line of thinking of why would somebody take a piece of paper out of a safe that already said something and underline it. But then, like, I actually found screenshots <laughs> from the episode of the paper on Twitter. And that is the only thing underlined. But there is another paragraph here that's never explained that there's a box around and a star. So I'm like, he did take the paper out to emphasize something else. But I'm like, I don't know. I think it's like my real answer is maybe it was just Brian Cox saying, I'm going to screw with this family while I'm gone, even while I'm gone. And of course, I love the at the bottom. You can see there are four points. You can't read the first three, but very clearly you do see Greg question mark. So I do think this was Logan. I think when this happened, when this paper was altered was after Greg first came to Logan and said, my uncle Ewan wants me to get out of the company. And Logan's saying, you know, that, that he's going to take away my inheritance money. I think Logan was maybe pondering or reminding himself, maybe I should give Greg something because he's been loyal to me. Or, or maybe that was his way of doing that. Maybe I'm thinking too much into Greg question mark. But I don't know. I think ultimately I've now talked myself back into being him strike. No, you know what? 
I have an answer now. I think it was underlined, and I think maybe he did it after Kendall turned on him. Like, he was mad at him, but that was the one moment Logan saw Kendall be a killer. And that's what he told him right before that press conference, you're not a killer. I always thought he had the little smile when Kendall did turn in on him at the end of the season two press conference. So, I don't know. I love that it's an unanswerable question, though. Okay, I'm going to ask this question. Um, we, we weren't going to each do a question, but I just thought of it because I just want to know the answer. Um, I'm just curious. Outside of the, the the three siblings, right? Obviously, Roman and Kendall were the big winners here because they end up as, as co-CEOs. Who won the episode that isn't a sibling, though? And it could be for any reason. Like, maybe they positioned themselves well or maybe they were just the best character in the episode or whatever it was. Who, who besides one of the siblings won this episode. Oh, and we'll throw this one out too. Who lost this episode? And maybe we'll include the siblings in that last one. Well, let's find out. Mary Kay, who do you have? (laughs) I haven't given this a bunch of thought yet. So I'm just going to go with the first thing that came to my mind. And that was Marsha. That's the same answer. Good one. That's the same answer. I swear (laughs) I'm not making it up. We should have done a countdown. One, two, three. That was my answer, too. Let Mary Kay talk about her. Big Marsha episode, Mary Uh Kay. Yeah, I mean, she... Yeah, she is, you can tell that she's got something up her sleeve. You can tell that she has some power. You can tell just the way she talked to Willa about look at how far you've come. And, you know, they're both sort of in agreement that they have, uh, you know, married into this tremendous power and they're taking full advantage of it. And, And Marsha holds a lot of the cards. We saw, uh, you know, that she dispatched... Uh, poor Carrie to the uh, the subway, the subway oh, we'll wasn't call it? Call her a taxi so she can oh, go to the yeah. subway for yes. her little to her little apartment. Like iconic line. Absolutely, one hundred percent. So yes, I think uh, I'm going to say, and Ashley agrees with me. Marsha won the episode. While I agree, Marsha, can I pose another potential, like maybe a, a secondary, a runner-up, another winner? Well, see now, I'm curious if you're going to say who I'm thinking. Willa. Okay, that, that's not who I was thinking, but yes, that's a good one. Um, yeah, Willa and Connor are going to get Logan's apartment based on a spit handshake between Connor and Marsha. And Willa's just like so much more comfortable with herself now that she's a real billionaire, I feel like. as When she was talking to Marsha, Marsha made, you know, Marsha again, and she's on her winning streak in this episode, saying, look how far you've come. And Willa says, yeah, well, both of us really. And I just thought that was such a cutting line to Marsha. Um, and Willa's just in this family now. She went from being the girl no one wanted in the Tom and Chip wedding photos to she's in it now with them and, and is going to benefit from this family's obscene wealth. Marsha's like the only person who can like handle the adversity of the situation. Like she's in control, like from the start and like the kids can't even like talk normally to anyone and like no one can speak normally to anyone else. And Marsha's just in control the whole way. That's a good one. I'm team Carl. I thought Carl was fantastic. He's got his Greek Island. He's all about his, his golden parachute. Um, I respect Carl for kind of, he took his, he took a little run at being the interim CEO, got put back in his place and immediately realized that it's all about just getting that package 
when he leaves because Mary Kay, he is halfway in on a Greek island with his brother-in-law. Yes, God love him. I mean, that that was an absolutely great detail to know uh, that that is what he's looking for. Uh, and it's funny to watch them start to cannibalize each other. My goodness. Um, but yeah, he, he did a really nice job in this episode. And I will say that uh, a lot of the things that we proposed in our, you know, predictions pod, basically, um, are still alive. There are things like, I mean, Carrie could still be pregnant, right? I mean, like, we still don't know. I saw a lot of medications fall out of her bag, yes. so I started thinking again, what are those medications for, and what were they helping? Because we know she was messing around with, with Logan medically last season, let's say it that way. So it is interesting. It's all up in the air still. Okay, the, the loser. Uh, anybody. It can be anybody. Let's do this. All right. We're going to do, we'll do the countdown like you suggested, Ashley, and we're all going to say a name, uh, the loser in this episode. So three, two, one, Shiv, Shiv. Mary Kay, you team Shiv. I'm going team Shiv. Yeah. Yeah. Team, team Shiv. Um, you could see, I mean, if she's going to rise to power again, she's going to have to, uh, she's really going to have to plant her flag and she's going to have to get back in there. And, uh, you know, she's lost uh, some ground over the last couple of episodes just in terms of, you know, when uh, when Kendall and, and Roman say, no, it needs to just be the two of us. And she kind of had to acquiesce for the good of the group. Um, you know, she kind of faded into the background a little bit, but that's not Shiv's personality. So we can't count her out. In this episode, uh, she's a little bit down, but it, they're going to be up and down and up and down as as we move forward here. And she was down this episode. Yeah, Ashley, I mean, Shiv still has cards to play, obviously, but just you could just tell she was she was kind of just sucking it up here because the case that they made right before the board meeting was they can't let they can't let it not be one of them. It had to be one of the kids or they were going to cede control to, to Jerry and her crew. Yeah, I'm glad Mary Kay brought this up because for me, this was like a shiv loss in this episode. But I think because we think of a lot of teams, you know, I think think consciously or subconsciously in football terms. Like I started thinking as I was watching after I watched the episode and I'm like for shiv to quote unquote lose in this episode, it's almost like a team having that like mid-season or late-season random loss, like a good team, and they have it, but it allows them to fix some major things that allow them to make like a, a playoff run, right? So I'm curious if this is that for Shiv, if it's a big learning lesson. And like Mary Kay said, she's going to somehow come back with a vengeance because I do think we still have six episodes to go. Like it's kind of early for to just be like, all right, well, Shiv's done. She's going to come back in some way. And I think we've seen previews for next week's episode where they go to see Lucas Matson, and she's having a nice stiff drink with Lucas Matson. But yeah, in this episode, you know, the line of the episode to me was Kendall saying, when she brings up that it looks like a strike through through his name, he said, well, it sure as effing S doesn't say Shiv. And that's true. Yeah, that was like that moment where it's like, yeah, these kids, they, they can't get along. It's impossible. Whatever, you know, whatever they were doing at the beginning of the season, it's it's over. They are they are not going to get along and this is going to end poorly uh, somehow. Does anybody have any predictions as to how this ends yet? Does anybody... I'm kind of feeling like they're just going to mess up and lose the company somehow. <laughs> but that that's we're still so far away from that. I just feel like that's how this is ultimately going to end. That none of them 
are going to end up being the successor. I don't know about that. I, right now, I don't have any new predictions. I just find it fascinating that some of the little theories that we threw out there are, are still very much in play. Yeah, the uh, the power rankings. I mean, did you have any predictions, Ashley? No, I'm still just as clueless as ever in the long term of what's going to happen. And yeah, I'm not quite ready to say, yeah, I definitely don't think it's going to be a kid or or what I think is going to happen. But I'm excited at these week to week little predictions to to be right occasionally. Well, it was good to have Stewie back. At least we have that. Yeah. Uh, that'll do it for and this. Both Sandys. Yes, both Sandys. How about that? And uh, Stephen Root, big big day on HBO for for Stephen Root fans. For Stephen Root. <laughs> All right, that'll do it for this edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast and Succession podcast. Now, uh, if you are not a Football Insider subscriber, head to Cleveland.com/slash/Browns. Click the blue banner at the top of the page to get everything that comes with that. And also make sure you're subscribed to this podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. 